0: My husband and I had been house hunting for about a year when we finally found a place that met all of our criteria. It was built in the last two decades, in a fairly secluded and safe part of town, open floor concept for me and a spacious kitchen for him, a pool in the backyard for the both of us, and plenty of room to grow. I was sold from the moment I stepped through that front door and saw the chandelier hanging above my head, illuminating both the entrance and the living room in perfect brightness. It was brass, and had eight upturned arms ending in elegant glass light shades shades in a floral design, and had a lovely chain coiled around the power cord coming from the ceiling, masking the unsightly thing from view. I could already picture myself lounging on a couch in the living room late at night, reading my book without having to strain my eyes to see. Jeremiah, on the other hand, had to be convinced of the house's merits. I could tell the exact moment the light flicked on in his head and he realized we were home. It was when he looked out the patio door and saw the jacuzzi nested right next to the pool. He turned and gave me the look. Before you know it, we were signing papers and moving in. I'd love to say I got to enjoy the house a bit before the problem started, but I had no such luck. The very first night we spent in our new house, sleeping on a mattress on the floor in a room surrounded by unopened boxes, I was woken up by sounds outside the bedroom door. Something akin to scratching, but not quite as dramatic. When I told my husband about it the next morning, he just laughed. (laughs) It's just the sound of the house settling. You'll get used to it, he told me. We spent the day unpacking boxes, putting everything away, dumping a few things the previous tenants had left behind, and cleaning up their mess. There was an obscene amount of glass shards left in the cupboards and closets, so we had to be careful not to cut ourselves as we tidied up. After a tireless day of working, Jeremiah left to get takeout, and I settled down on the couch with a good book. That night, I was so exhausted. I would have slept through a tornado riding a hurricane. In the morning I was pleasantly surprised by the scent of fresh coffee wafting from the kitchen. I wrapped a robe around myself and pitter pattered to the coffee machine. My mug was waiting for me with a post it note attached. Found it and washed it for you. Gone to buy a stepladder and a donut run. Back in thirty. Love you. Smiled and poured myself a cup of coffee, which I then almost spat out as I saw what Jeremiah had left in our fruit basket tucked inside a bundle of oranges was a single light bulb. I laughed, drew a happy face on it and put it in the cupboard over the fridge. We had this tradition of hiding a little dollar store alien figure around our old apartment, but he hadn't turned up yet, so I figured the light bulb was a substitute until we found our little space invader. I heard my husband laughing later that day and when he opened the cupboard and saw Mr. Bulb waiting for him, I went to bed in good spirits that night, not expecting any trouble. But as the night wore on, I was woken up by something moving around the house. I could hear a vague jangling of chains and something scraping along the floor. This time I got out of bed and took a baseball bat with me as I inched out of the room to investigate. I was shaking, expecting to see some ethereal silhouette looking back at me or maybe an apparition in the mirror, or, I don't know, something. As I rounded the corner into the kitchen and turned on the lights, I saw nothing but a few leftover boxes. It wasn't until I heard a rhythmic, metallic squeak that I turned my attention to the living room entrance. The chandelier was swinging lightly. My heart dropped to my feet, and I was careful not to trip on it as I ran to the bedroom and screamed at my husband. Jer, Jer, wake up! The house is haunted! He let out a groggy groan and turned over to look at me. What? What? The house is haunted. What are you talking about? I grabbed him by the arm and pulled his reluctant ass into the kitchen, pointing to the chandelier at the entrance. I heard something walking around out there, Jerry, and... Look. Look at that. You can't tell me that's normal. Jeremiah rubbed his eyes and squinted at the chandelier. He regarded me with a mix of confusion and annoyance. Seriously? His skepticism was beyond irritating. Yes, seriously. He wrapped an arm around my shoulders and led me back toward the bedroom as he yawned loudly. Babe, there's probably just a giraffe. It's nothing. Remember, when you moved into my apartment, you thought the lights on my coffee machine was a demon or something? That was different. I actually heard something this time. He pat me condescendingly on the back. It's the house settling. You'll get used to it. Come on. Come back to bed. It's late. I grunted. Fine. I was determined to be a complete dick to him the next morning as payback for treating me like a child, but when I found a light bulb sticking out of the egg carton in the fridge, I couldn't help but laugh and lost my nerve. He was forgiven this time. We both worked hard that day and managed to empty the last of our boxes. Every now and again, I'd come across another light bulb Clearly, Jeremiah felt bad and wanted to make me smile, and of course, he knew exactly how to do it. I kept finding them in increasingly bizarre places. The laundry hamper, soap holder, jewelry box, even inside the toilet tank. That last one, I only found because I heard a weird clatter coming from it every time I flushed. We went to sleep after we christened our newly assembled bed, and I had nothing but sweet dreams until the noises woke me up again. This time, they weren't quiet, subtle sounds that could be misconstrued as the house settling. They were loud and violent. The difference between a kid trying to sneak a midnight snack and a ravenous teenager running into the kitchen for an after-school snack as though their life depended on it. There was banging, there was dragging, there was strange metallic clanging that seriously made me question how the hell my husband was still unconscious. This time, I raced out of the bedroom with a flashlight and enough adrenaline to launch an elephant into outer space. I imagined my voice coming out strong and authoritarian, but in reality, it crackled and wavered as I stuttered out, "Who, Who's there? The banging, the dragging, the clanging. It had all stopped, and all I could hear in response was a light grinding of metal as the chandelier swung like a pendulum with more gusto than it had last time. Whoever, or whatever, was doing this to my house was going to regret it, I thought. I booted up my laptop and furiously searched for exorcists and ghost hunters online. It didn't matter whether or not my husband believed me, the house was haunted and I was going to do something about it. I started assembling numbers and contact information, and suddenly Seriously? Grunted Jeremiah as he pulled the laptop off of me. I was dizzy and groggy and couldn't quite remember what I'd been doing moments prior. He fell asleep on the couch. I explained the drool in the corner of my mouth. I wiped my face. Oh, morning already, I whispered. He motioned around him, the living room full of natural light. Yep, it was morning. Sorry, I haven't been sleeping well, I said, then mumbled, because our house is haunted. Never mind that, he said, as he waved his hand in front of me. He was holding a pair of light bulbs. Can you knock it off with the bulbs? I almost tripped on one this morning. I was confused. Huh. Look, it was funny at first I thought you were just using the same one But I found at least five this morning Where are you even getting them from? I only ever buy the environmentally friendly kind These ones are such a damn waste I rubbed my temples <laughs> Wait, you think I'm the one that keeps hiding these around the house? Well, it sure as hell wasn't me My stomach twisted I told him. I told him the house was haunted, but did he believe me? No. I thought you were hiding them around the house. It's not me, I swear, I replied. He had the gall to roll his eyes at me. Whatever, just knock it off, okay? It's not cute anymore. Not the Easter Bunny. I tried to explain myself, but he wouldn't listen. He completely shut me down the second I dared mention the house being haunted. It was a long day. Jeremiah mostly just ignored me, and I mostly just tried to stay out of his way. I don't like going to bed angry, but he made it impossible to talk it over, so... That's just what we did. That night, it wasn't scratching sounds that woke me up. It was... It was Jeremiah's scream. Followed by a string of expletives I don't care to repeat. I found him in the bathroom, sitting on the edge of the tub, holding his bleeding foot. As I approached, I could see shards of glass sticking out of it. Walked on one of those damn bulbs you left for me, he grunted. I told you, it, it wasn't me. He leered. Whatever. I grabbed the first aid kit from the closet and sat on the floor next to him. Here. Let me help. He looked reluctant, but presented his foot nonetheless. As I started cleaning it up and plugging out the shards, I noticed a strange liquid on his foot. It was thick, sticky, and somewhat milky, but on the clear side. When I wiped a towel over it, it formed little strings like saliva leading from the foot to the towel. What the hell is this stuff? Jeremiah shrugged. Damn if I know, it was in the bulb. Uh, we're not talking about fluorescent lights here. There shouldn't be any liquid. He rolled his eyes and answered. Well, there is in these cheap-ass pieces of crap. Thanks a lot. For the last time, I didn't buy... I was interrupted by a long, drawn-out, metallic grinding noise coming from the general direction of the living room. What the hell was that? asked Jeremiah. Finally, he was hearing proof that I was right about the house being haunted, but this wasn't exactly a good time for I told you so's. I told you! Okay, maybe it was the time. That doesn't sound like the house settling, does it? He got up on his good foot and limped to the door. No, it sounds like ghosts. An old furnace. Are you kidding me? I bellowed. It must be the pipes or something, he whispered. I could see the pain in his eyes every time his foot touched the ground as he rounded the corner into the kitchen. He didn't seem to care he was smearing blood all over the linoleum tiles. I cared. I wiped the tiles behind him, then bummed into him as he came to a grinding halt. He was looking pale-faced at the entryway. I could feel the tension in the air. He'd seen a ghost, hadn't he? I slowly followed his gaze, but a ghost wasn't what I saw. The sound wasn't coming from a translucent being. The sound was coming from the chandelier. Slowly, very slowly, the coiled chains leading to the ceiling unwound, and the chandelier dropped closer to the floor. It's just broken, I heard him mutter under his breath. I would have believed him, if not for the fact that as it fell, it visibly ran out of slack, yet more chain materialized from the center of the fixture, allowing it to gently touch the ground. I heard a chilling screech as the eight arms began to buckle under their own twists and downwards. There weren't arms at all. They were... legs. I dropped the blood-soaked rag in shock. Jeremiah had that does-not-compute face on him, and... Even though I tugged on his shirt and told him we should run, he just stood there frozen in disbelief. Even as the spider-like creature slowly began to skitter towards the stairs, my husband wouldn't budge. Jeremiah, move! I ordered. Every single moment it took produced the god-awful scratching sound I'd been hearing all week. I was wrong. The house wasn't haunted, but now... I wish it had been. The metallic creature reared itself back and suddenly, a string of chain burst out of it and wrapped around my husband. He let out a scream. What the hell is going on? He shouted in a panic. I didn't know what to do. My body was telling me to run, but I couldn't leave Jeremiah behind. I started pulling at the chains, but I couldn't loosen them. I can't breathe, he howled. Another string of chains caught Jeremiah's leg, sending him crashing to the ground. Then another nearly bound my hands to his torso, but I managed to move them out of the way just in time. In shock, I backed away. Lock cutters, he barked. He was right. We had a pair in the garage we'd bought for, it for arts and crafts projects gone wrong. Problem was, to get to the garage door, I had to go through the chandelier. It skittered side to side like a goalie protecting the net. Uh, Hang in there. I'll I'll go around back. It was my only choice. Otherwise, I risked also getting caught in a cocoon. I ran toward the patio door, but as I did, I heard Jeremiah let out the most gut-wrenching scream imaginable. I turned around only to find the spider-like chandelier standing on him, digging its legs into the web of chains. I wish all I could hear was the metallic scraping, but no. No. The sound of Jeremiah's bones cracking was somehow louder than the grinding noise of metal on metal. And then, just as I thought it couldn't get worse, blood started pouring out of his mouth and nose. He wasn't screaming anymore. He was just gurgling like a wounded animal. I could feel myself growing numb as I watched him struggle against the chains and finally go limp. There was a long moan of silence as I watched the creature dig deeper into the cocoon of chains. And then all of a sudden, I heard a flick. Light came pouring out of every orifice of my husband's head as though he'd become the world's most horrendous nightlight. I screamed. I ran... Without knowing where to run, I stumbled past the creature and my husband, slipping on the puddle of blood by his head. I tripped down three steps to the living room and jumped the five steps to the entrance. As I opened the door to flee, I heard cracking on the inside. Not the cracking of bones. The cracking of glass. I shut the door with all my might and ran down the driveway, looking around only once torchlight flickered on and I saw the bulb crack open and something small skittering out of it. No one believes me when I tell them what happened. Those who've gone to the house and said that there was no trace of my husband or his blood. Everyone thinks he just left me. They don't believe the truth. They think the stress from the move caused friction between us and that he just up and left in the middle of the night and I had a mental breakdown over it. I know the truth. They hatched. And he was their first meal. I've lost my desire to lounge on the couch and read books late at night. My house has no lights, no chandeliers, no flashlights, nothing. People hark on me for retreating from the world and living in darkness, but I prefer it this way. It's safe here, in the dark. I'm writing this after leaving my house for the last time. I could tell you about screaming and crying as I crawled away from my home, but it wouldn't make any sense to you now. It may not make sense to you when I'm done either, but I have to try, if only for myself. So I'll start at the beginning. These notes my father started writing the day after he lost my mother to it. The day they went to my great-grandmother's house and entered the maze. Barbara had told me we should get someone to do this. An estate agent, maybe, or some junk peddler that was willing to pour through a lifetime of my grandmother's accumulated detritus. But I had insisted on doing it ourselves. I told her it was because I didn't trust someone else to go through her belongings, but that was only a small part of it. The truth was that I would heard from my mom years ago that my grandmother had become a hoarder a twisted old scrap of a woman that had somehow outlived her own children while slowly rotting away in this rambling place of tall grass and large rooms packed tight and dark with... with what? When we got there that morning, I suggested we start in the house. I guessed it was where anything of value would be and hopefully it would be the easiest to tackle. When we opened the door, I stifled a gag. The house had expelled a long breath into our faces, a dry, thick cough filled with roach dust and mouse droppings, decaying paper, and rotten time. Glancing at Barb, I shrugged and turned on my flashlight as I stepped inside. The house was three floors tall. The first two floors consisted of around eight large rooms each, while the third was comprised of four smaller rooms on the sides running toward a middle attic area That was the largest space in the house. Every room, every hallway, almost every conceivable space in the house was full of clutter. Rings of newspaper, stacks of porcelain, columns of books, and mesas of furniture. Piles of clothes that had likely once been neatly stacked, but had long since fallen into mounds of moldy disarray. Everything was coated with dust and filth the thick ropey kind of dust that reminded me of jungle vines it was like the house was slowly eating everything, reclaiming ground from an intruder and now we were the intruders explorers of some foreign land or alien world, unsure of the geography and uncertain of what we might find behind the next door or around the corner maybe that's why when I started to realize we were lost, I didn't think it strange at first We were on the second floor, in a room we had been in at least twice before. I was sure of it, but I wasn't entirely clear which way to go. Part of it was the darkness. The power had been cut off for months, and it would be at least a day or two before the power company turned it back on for our cleanup. But the claustrophobic semi-twilight that prevailed all the rooms wasn't the main problem. It was the stuff. We weren't walking into rooms as much as we were following trails and hiking through canyons. Most places stuff was stacked or piled higher than our heads, and other than the high ceilings above and the occasional glimpse of a distant wall, you often had little sense of where you were in the larger context of the room, let alone the house. The paths would wind this way and that, and I estimated that a given room might contain five or more different paths that sometimes interconnected and branched off into other areas of the house. In the abstract, it was almost impressive, but we weren't in the abstract. We were walking between never-ending walls of trash, breathing an air that made my lungs ache, and while my heart steadily picked up pace the longer that we walked without a real sense of where we were going. It made no sense. The house was large, but not that large. We had to hit a wall, or the stairs, or something, soon. And yet, we didn't. I felt Barbara's hand growing sweaty in mine, and when she asked the question, I resented it, not because she asked, but because she already knew the answer as well as I did, and her saying it only gave voice to my own fears. We're lost in here, aren't we? I slowed to a stop and looked back at her. In the offset glow of my flashlight, her face looked pale and ghostly, floating in the dark. She looked tired. But more than that, she looked worried. Maybe even a little scared. Squeezing her hand, I tried to smile. Uh, yeah. I guess we are, right? It's just a maze, isn't it? I gave a short laugh I didn't feel. But it can't go on forever, can it? We'll just hit a wall or door eventually and reorient from there. Her eyes didn't leave me as she gave a slight nod. I guess, but we're on the second floor. We already went through these rooms and I don't remember them being this bad. Cluttered, sure, junky even, but not like this. I don't remember anything like this. I turned away so she wouldn't see my face as I shrugged. She was right, of course. I didn't remember anything this bad in any room we'd seen, but we just missed it, right? Or it looked worse when we were in the middle of it. What other answers could there be? I think we just need to keep going. We'll find something we recognize soon enough. Without waiting for a response, I grasped her hand tighter and started forward again. We walked on for a few more minutes before finally reaching some stairs. They went up to the third floor, but I I swear I'd never seen them before. The stairs we'd seen had been a continuation of the stairs from the first to the second floor and on up to the third. These stairs were isolated, with no stairs going down at all, and made in a narrow, curling style that was very different than what we'd seen anywhere in the house. Still, the third floor had been the least cluttered when we went up before. Maybe it'd be easier to find the other stairs and go all the way down from up there. What do you think the other buildings are like? I blinked, my foot on top of the first step. What do you mean? I started walking again, and when I tugged at her hand, Barbara slowly started ascending behind me. I mean, that storage shed is large, bigger than a lot of people's houses. But that outbuilding... It's massive Nodding, I kept taking the steps slowly Yeah She ran an antique shop for nearly 50 years That's where she kept all the stuff she didn't have room for in the shop I haven't been there since I was a kid And it was already full then I felt her shudder and I gave her hand a squeeze I hoped it was comforting This really was too much for us to handle I saw it now, and I was sorry for bringing her in there in the first place. When we get out of here, let's get a motel room, yeah? I'll call the lawyer tomorrow and see if he can recommend an estate agent or something. We just made it to the top of the stairs after what seemed like far too long of a climb. And there were more walls of junk here, too, though. They were a bit more spaced out, at least. Guessing at which way led to the center of the house, I began taking us down one of the rotting halls my great-grandmother had. Good. Yes, this is... I don't know how someone could live like this. It almost feels like we're walking through their mind, poor thing. makes me want to go home and throw away everything we... Click, 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 click. Barbara's hand tightened on mine. What was that? I turned, shining my light down both ends of the trash corridor we were in. I don't know, maybe something just hitting something else? Her voice trembled slightly when she spoke again. But it sounded... Alive. I could hear blood in my ears as I shook my head. I doubt there's anything in here other than mice and spiders and bugs. Puffing out a long breath, I shined my light up at the ceiling. I guess there could be a raccoon or bat or something. We just need to keep an eye out and be careful. These rooms are smaller, so we have to be getting close. We walked another couple of minutes when the sound came again. Click, 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 click. This time it was closer close enough that I could hear a stealthy rustling noise underneath the hard clicks that echoed through the murk of the maze. Barbara put her flashlight against my shoulder as she stepped closer. This isn't a random sound. Something gets in here with us. I nodded. Let's hurry and get out of here. The flashlight pressed into my shoulder painfully as she whispered into my ear. Just... Break through if you have to. Push over a wall or whatever, and let's cut through so we can find the stairs. Glancing back at her, I shook my head as I kept my voice lower, too. It could cause things to collapse in ways we can't predict. Push the wrong wall, and you could have hundreds of pounds blocking a door or falling down on us. It's better if we just keep going and click, 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 click. It was right ahead of us now, the softer whisper of something sliding across the dirty floor, clearly now the sound of something approaching. Instinctively, I started backing up. Whatever it was, a raccoon or whatever, we just needed to turn around. Barbara's light pitched up as I stepped backward, and as it shined down the path in front of us, we began to scream. Parts of it looked like a man and other parts more like a dog or a rangy coyote. Long skeletal arms covered in pale, blue-veined skin that slid back to large, membraneous webs that ran from the armpits to the mid-torso of the thing as it crawled forward on thin-fingered, hard-clawed hands. Its spine was pronounced and twisted, almost like a dinosaur's fin or the raised upper peaks of someone deformed in the last stages of malnutrition. Except the rest of the body wasn't thin-looking at all. To the contrary, the serpentine spine tapered down to hard, thick ribs barely visible beneath pendulous sacks of flesh. Below this, two short but powerful-looking legs folded like a hound's, quivering moistly as so tense to jump or perhaps trembling with excitement as it slid forward again. Click, 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 click. I'd been transfixed for a moment by the horror of it all, and hearing the sound brought me out of it. My eyes found the movement that matched that hard and terrible noise and buried in the center of a long, dark head that was framed by four dimly shining eyes, two on each side of a nose and mouth that were more of a snout, elongated and lipless. Yellow teeth jumped out from beneath the black gums, chattering like a snake's warning as the thing drew near. I felt myself sinking back into the kind of a stupor at seeing it all. It was all too nightmarish to be real. But then my eye drifted to one of its own, and there I saw the truth of it. Its hunger, and worse, its insanity. I had the dim thought that it wanted us for more than our meat. It wanted to keep us there with it forever. A sharp moan escaped me as I grabbed Barbara's arm and began to run back the other way. We hadn't gone that far or taken any turns, so we should be able to reach the twisting stairs back to the second floor easily, but... Where were they? This was impossible. Click. 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 Even with us running, it was somehow catching up to us. There must be a turn, I forgot. Maybe this one up ahead. Besides, running lost was a lot better than letting that thing catch up. Click. 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 It took me a moment to realize it was above us, and in that moment it landed on Barbara, slamming her to the ground and pulling her free from my grasp. I turned around to reach for her to fight it off, but it was already dragging her away into the dark. I chased them, I swear to God I did. I tried to find them. I ran and yelled and screamed for what felt like an hour, but there was never any sound of them after her first startled scream as it brought her down and took her from me kept walking, wandering corridors of trash that were impossibly long. There was no way this could all fit in that house, or even ten of those houses. I was going to die in this place, and that was fine. At least Barbara wouldn't. Suddenly, there was a door ahead, though much larger and different than any I'd seen in the house. Reaching it, I saw it slid along a track and had a small latch to keep it closed. I tripped the latch and yanked it aside easily, wincing at the bright afternoon sunlight as I stumbled back out into the world. Looking back at the door I'd just come through, I saw I was leaving the large outbuilding now. It was impossible, of course. I'd been on the third floor of the house, 500 yards away, and now I was stepping out here, but none of this made any sense. I just needed to try and find Barbara. I called her phone, but there was no answer. More than that, I could find no trace of her in the car. I felt sure she left her purse and coffee cup behind, but there was no sign of them anymore. Maybe I should have gone back inside and tried to find Barbara. Gerard, if you read this, maybe you'll think your father is a coward for abandoning your mother there, but. I was terrified. And more and more of my fear was not that my wife had been abducted by some monster in the darkness of that place, but that she'd never been with me at all. That I was suffering some kind of breakdown. So I decided to go home. To see if I found her there. And if I didn't, I'd call you or the police. It seemed like a reasonable plan at the time. I felt the first fresh blossom of unease when I pulled into the driveway and didn't see your mother's car. I went inside and she wasn't there. More than that, I didn't see any signs of her having been there. None of her clothes, her books, her makeup, or her art. All of it was gone. I remembered every bit of it, but somehow it had been wiped away. Leaving most of the house bare. I thought about you, about how you wouldn't exist without her and that should have made me want to call you more, but instead it just made me afraid. I was so terribly alone and sad and very, very afraid and this all had to be a bad dream or a brain tumor or something and I was just so tired and all of a sudden and and there was still a bed. So I laid down, and I slept a dreamless sleep. When I woke up, I saw walls around me. To the left of the bed were stacks of cans, large bomb-shelter-sized cans of fruit and beans as tall as the ceiling. To the right were mounds of electronics webbed together with cords and cables bound tight. The only path forward was at the foot of the bed a narrow corridor out into the greater twilight of the place. Using my phone as a light, I went forward. I tried calling for help, of course, but no one answered, no matter who I called. There was no telling how long it would take for someone to come look for me, either. I'd realized at some point after escaping the outbuilding that it was the same afternoon we'd gone in, even though in the maze... I would have sworn days gone by. So I dug this notebook free from the wall as I was passing by. There was a pen near, too. The first good luck I've had in some time. When I started, I was still half convinced I was crazy, but as I've written this, I think I've changed my mind. I think it died at some point. I think I died at some point, and this is hell. Hell. I can hear it coming for me now, chattering its teeth and dragging its meat along the floor. I hope it will take me to Barbara and we don't suffer too long. I hope I am just crazy. But I don't think that's true. I'm sorry, Gerard. I know even reading all of this will leave you with questions, but you can't look for them. Stay away from her house, from ours too, I guess. They're. they're infected. Just stay away. and take care of yourself. And whatever you do, don't follow us here. My parents have now been missing for two months. There's no sign of foul play other than their disappearance, but there's a ton of evidence that something is wrong. Nearly five tons, to be exact. When I went to check on them five days after they were supposed to have gone to my great-grandmother's house, I couldn't get into the front door. There was a pathway inside between piles of trash, but it was too narrow for me. When I got back to my car. I called 911. I explained to the cops that something had happened in there. The house was filled top to bottom with garbage and old junk, none of which had been there three weeks earlier. The police looked at me skeptically, suggesting that maybe my parents had just hid their hoarding tendencies from me. When I told them that was impossible and they were idiots, they just smiled and told me to have a nice day. It's not a crime to disappear, so technically, there was nothing I could do. And at the time, I had no idea why the house was like that and no way of exploring it myself. So I hired a crew of guys to come in and clean it out, to catalog everything they took and bring me anything that looked like it would be of interest, something that would help me figure out what happened to my parents. The head guy looked at me skeptically, but kept his mouth shut. I was paying them well, and whether I was crazy or really trying to find parents that had had their house oddly vandalized with mountains of garbage, it really was all the same to them. To their credit, they were fairly careful with removing everything. I sat outside almost the entire time, and a half dozen times they brought me various items to look at, but they were never anything I recognized. By the end of the second week of work, they were almost done, and it was as they were bringing out my parents' bed that it struck me that it was the very first thing that I'd seen that was familiar. What had happened to all their furniture? All their stuff they'd had for years that I would recognize. I almost asked him to set the bed aside for me to look at, but then one of the young guys came up to me with something in his hands. The Notebook. I spent the next hour reading through it twice before heading home. My head was spinning, and I was unsure what to do next. I could carry it to the police, but would they listen? And could I blame them if they didn't? Rolling up to my front door, I unlocked it, and... I was staring into a tunnel of rotting cardboard and mildew, this time wide enough for me to get in. I looked down at the notebook in my lap. What had Dad said? Infected? Shuddering, I tried to roll back, but I didn't turn sharp enough and the wheels of my chair banged on the railing behind me. Looking back into the murk of what had been my house, I saw something coming toward me. Click, 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 click. I tried to go forward again, but the wheel was caught, and now I could see it, much like my father had described. It squinted its four glowing eyes against the morning sunlight, but didn't slow down as it crawled toward me. Click, 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 click. Grunting, I shifted my weight and pulled forward, freeing my wheels. I turned around sharply and started to head down the ramp toward my... It lurched in the chair as it stopped abruptly. Looking behind me, I could see the thing gripping a wheel in the one long fingered hand as it pulled its bulk up toward me. Click, 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 click. I let out a scream and pitched myself forward, scraping my elbows as I slid further down the ramp. Glancing back, I saw it was still coming over the chair, holding the ramp rails to pull itself forward as it landed with a wet thump in the spot where I'd been sitting a few seconds before. For a moment, I just stared at it dumbly, its twinkling eyes seeming to shine brighter than everything in that instant. I felt the world growing dark around me, the air thick and musty. It it was trying to pull me into the maze. Clenching my eyes shut, I turned away and began crawling in the direction of the car, or where I hoped it was. I felt grass between my fingers, then dirty wood planks, then grass again. Just stay grass. Just stay outside. Just get to the car. I felt my hand touch Robert, and when I opened my eyes, I was at the car. Looking back, the thing crawling after me was gone. The front door of the house was even shut, like nothing had ever happened. The only thing out of that place was my wheelchair, stuck halfway down the ramp with something thick and shining, dripping from the leather seat. I'm writing all this down at a restaurant a hundred miles from what I used to call home. The town is big enough I was able to rent a new chair without much trouble, and there's a hotel at the interstate that will work for now. It's brightly lit, full of people, and I could use a little bit of both right now. I called the guy that was cleaning my parents' house and told him my address. I told him to throw away the wheelchair on the ramp and find the notebook that would be laying out somewhere on the porch. To find it and throw it inside the house without going in. I don't know if it would affect him any more than the stuff at my parents, but I didn't want anyone else on my conscience. In a couple of weeks, it wouldn't matter. I'll put their house for sale, and as for mine, my fire insurance is paid up. I'm no closer to understanding what happened to them now than when this all started, but that's okay because truth be told, I don't want to know. I don't want any part of whatever world that I glimpsed at my threshold and that ate my parents whole. I'd rather just forget as much as I can and leave it all behind. It doesn't mean I don't miss them. I do terribly, but the best parts of them I'll always have with me. How much they loved me and each other. How they tried to live good lives and teach me from their own mistakes, even at the end. I kept thinking about this time I had a big fight with Dad about getting a car. Getting all the equipment for me to be able to drive made any vehicle way more expensive, but I was young and I still wanted a cool car. Dad could have just told me they couldn't afford more than they were already spending, but they'd always tried to shield me from that. They didn't want me to feel like my disability made me more expensive, more burdensome, even though I knew it did. So instead, he used it as a chance to teach me a lesson. He told me that there were all kinds of people in the world and all kinds of traps they fall into. One of the biggest was thinking that material things were going to make them happy or somehow a better person. He said that people spent their whole lives worrying about how big their house was or how nice their car was, not because they didn't have what they needed, but because at some point they decided that decorating their life was more important than living. He told me he didn't believe in the devil, but if such a thing existed, that's how it got people, by tricking them into being miserable, into hating themselves, by dangling something shiny just out of reach whispering in their ear that this time, when they get that thing, they'd finally have enough. Except, it never worked like that. Just look at my great-grandmother. She was rich as hell, but what did it matter? She'd driven everyone away, and from what my mother had heard, she was still just steady buying stuff to fill that giant house of hers until it bursts. And you know why? Why, I'd asked. Still irritated because I knew I'd lost the car fight. Still guilty because I knew I never should have started the fight to begin with. Because at a certain point, you stop owning things, and they start owning you.